You're listening to a chapel message from Trinity Christian College, recorded live at the Ozinga Chapel Auditorium in Palos Heights, Illinois. So, many of you guys may not think this, but I'm quite nervous. I haven't done this for almost, I don't know, five, six years where I stood in a Wow, everybody is sitting over here. That's fun. Um, Where I'm talking to a group of people in this type of capacity, particularly bringing the word of the Lord. That's nerve-wracking to me. But like any good Baptist, I have to go through some preludes before I begin this time. So first, I must give glory and thanks and praise to God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth because he is the head of my life, the master. I am his bondservant, as James says. And then I must give honor where honor is due. I must honor my parents who were my first teachers. My, interestingly enough, when I was practicing this yesterday, my parents said, FaceTime us like when you were four and used to put the TV table out in front because all I did was go to school and go to church and I would preach to them, John 3, 16, because I didn't know how to read. But I knew John 3, 16 at that time. And then I have to give honor and blessings and speak well over my husband who is my covering. Um, If you guys don't know, I'm very, very traditional and my husband actually encouraged me to say yes to Pastor Ben's invitation. And I wanna thank Pastor Ben, the shepherd of our campus. Um, He thought well enough of me to allow me to fuss at you all for 15 minutes. Um, Because one thing I will do is fuss. Um, But let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for today. Um, We thank you for how you have blessed us, how you have kept us. Lord God, we we are not here by our own strength, but because of your goodness and grace. Lord God, I ask that you hide me behind your cross. That everything you need them, everyone to hear, including myself, that we hear today. And anything that is not like you, anything that is a bone to the meat that you have for us, Lord God, throw it out right now. Lord God, you know my nerves are bad and I'm a natural overthinker. So Lord God, calm my heart and my mind and my spirit to follow in what you have for us today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Last week, Last week, Pastor Ben led us through a wonderful passage of Genesis 50. Um, and in that passage, it's Genesis 50, 25, Joseph left us with a bit of a cliffhanger, like a, a good show that you watch on a regular day. End of the season is coming, the climax has happened, and we are moving into the next part of the story. And Joseph says to his family at the time, He says, God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. President Dykstra did us a wonderful favor. Uh, He gave us something to hold on to. uh, That from Genesis 50 to Exodus 1 was 125 years. That's a long time to wait for, surely. But when... 
Pastor Ben came to me and said, Marva, I want you to preach over Exodus 1. I was a bit unsure because the Exodus has become the very thing that we think it is, and that is the story of Prince of Egypt. We go through the bullet points. Exodus gets um, a minute and 30 seconds of our time, like a good trailer. It goes, the, the people of God are enslaved for 400 years. Moses encounters the burning bush. He has this Chris Pratt-like close-up where he says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, the action junkies get attracted to the show because there's the 10 plagues and the splitting of the Red Sea. And then we spend a whole lot of time in the wilderness. But as we push through Exodus so quickly, we so impetuously and carelessly miss the plot in the story. Not only do we miss the plot in the story, we miss the rosebud. We miss the one ring. We miss the private Ryan in saving private Ryan. We miss the MacGuffin. We miss the trigger. We miss the drive. What we miss is that while we wait for the other end, while we're so quick to get to the acknowledgments, to the conclusion, while we're so quick to get to the credits, we miss the promise God has already been living in Exodus the whole time. Thank you. I was wondering if I was. And so let me just jump into the passage. Exodus, six, uh, cha- Exodus chapter one, verse six, it says, now Joseph and all his brothers, they're dead, gone, dead, dead. They're not coming back. Remember, Joseph left them with 50, chapter 50, verse 25. He made, he made them a promise, an oath, an oath, repeating the oath that was made to their forefathers. But now he's gone. And then how we also know that time lapse is because in verse 8, yes, I'm jumping all the way to verse 8. Verse 8, Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph. What does that mean? I'm sorry, I do not know this man. I do not, I wouldn't know him if he walked across the street. The commentaries actually push on the word um, know, as in he has no personal memory. No one told him. Joseph's work and the great things he did for the Egyptians no longer matter. Well, how we also know time has drifted is that this family that moved to Egypt is not kinfolk no more. They are now a folk folk. They're big. There's a lot of them. I was going to make this joke, and then I said I wasn't, but I am going to make it. It's almost like in 125 years, Coach Jeremy Bialek's family. There's 12 of them right now. And in 125 years, them kinfolk going to be a whole folk. And when I say folk folk, a whole folk. And then we move to verse 9. They, they, were, they were fruitful, I'm sorry, in verse 7. There was a lot of them. They multiplied, increased in numbers. Their numbers were great. There were so many of them that they filled the land. But like any good story, the antagonist has to jump in. Uh, Pharaoh has an interesting point here in, in verse 9. I'm telling you that there were so many of them that it gave the Pharaoh, the emperor of the land, pause. 
If you read it in the NIV, when they told me they was going to read it, the, the NIV says, look, comma. It says, look, pause. It says, the Israelites have become far too numerous. There's too many of these folks in our streets. We have to deal with them shrewdly. We have to oppress them, not for the love of money, not because we need our cities to be big, not because of pyramids, but just because we need to stop them from growing. Understand this, that was the whole purpose. There's too many of them. The reason why that's important to note is because the amount of men that were in a space also meant bodies for war. And interestingly enough, he says, I, I don't, I, there's too many of them here, but I kind of don't want them to leave. <laughs> so uh, we have to deal with them so that they can stop growing. So I'm going to jump to verse 11. Because the Egyptians did what was told they were told to do. And that was place them in slavery. He says, he, it says here in verse 11, he put slave masters over them and forced into labor. Jump to verse 13, I'm gonna skip 12 for right now, and they worked them ruthlessly. Verse 14, they made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar with all kinds of work in fields. In, in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So basically saying they worked them to the bone and then treated them poorly. That's usually where we spend our most, most of our time in this passage, is verses 11, 13, and 14. The Israelites were enslaved, and we use that for like some political ideas and, and, and throwing things around back and forth for some ideas, but what we miss is in verse 12. The whole point was to stop them from growing. This was not about the Israelites themselves. This was about the promise that was made in Genesis 12-2 and in Genesis 26-4. This whole thing was about breaking the promise that was set for not their glory, but for God's glory. In verse 12, as they were experiencing this oppression, they did what they knew to do. And that was continue to grow. Multiply, increase, that's all they knew to do. I just wanna point out an observation here. Uh, this is probably one of the only times where we see Israel going into slavery, um, forced down into pagan rule, and they actually haven't done anything wrong. What we know them to do to worship other gods and be this stiff-necked people that we always accuse them of, it doesn't exist in this passage. This was completely outside of their control. They actually are experiencing hardship because they were minding their own business and living how they knew to live. If you don't hear anything else from me today, if you are experiencing hardship and things are hurting you outside of your control, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what you think, it just seems like it's coming after you and coming after you and coming after you and it gets heavier and heavier on you. I promise you it may not because you did anything wrong. 
It might simply be because you lived in the promise that God called you into. So, of course, Pharaoh's plan doesn't work. You know, that's usually how it goes in the story. And Pharaoh doesn't stop. He sees that they're still growing, but he says, eh, let me try it one more time. And in verse 16, he tells the midwives, because, you know, the enemy doesn't really want to get his hands dirty. He tells the midwives, I want you to deal with this mess. I want you uh, to kill the growth that is coming out of Israel. And I tell you today, if you are living your life and you do not have the midwives of Exodus 1, who are willing to stand in the gap and risk themselves for your sake. If you don't have friends and people around who, you who are praying on your behalf, who are not fasting on your behalf, who are not uh, speaking life on your behalf towards the promise that God has for you in your life, I, I tell you now, find some new friends. Because if you have the wrong midwife near you, they will sell you out to the enemy. So, I'm gonna keep going. And then when that didn't work, the enemy said, fine. Since we don't have people who wanna cooperate with what I'm trying to do, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna really do it myself, but I'm gonna to go to a new extreme. And in, in verse 16 and 22, he does this all-out blitz. My, my husband watches football uh, three days a week. And he also reads football books. I don't understand it, but he does it. And he loves it. Uh, but there's something that he always loves to see. is when a, a, a team is kind of losing a bit, and the defensive coordinator just goes, blitz. I want you to blitz all night. I don't want them to get past the line of scrimmage. That does something to him. He's like, oh, yes. That, that's how you're supposed to play football. But that's literally what Pharaoh did. He told the people, I want you to all out blitz them. Kill them all. As they come and you see them, throw them into the Nile. And, and I want us to think about that in our day and time right now. At this moment, Pharaoh is all out blitzing us because he cannot suppress the growth of the people of God. He individually attacks us because he knows that God promised us his faithfulness. He promised us his compassion. He promised us his kindness, his hope, his love. But we constantly have to battle back and forth, back and forth. And it seems like it's getting heavier and heavier every day because we feel alone more than we have ever felt. Anxiety is ramping itself up. Depression, depression is meeting you in the morning. And it's getting harder. 
because the enemy has an all-out blitz on the people of God. This has nothing to do with you, but it has everything to do with the glory that God already has taken in his hand. And he can't stop, the enemy can't stop us from going to the land of milk and honey. But what he can do is make us believe and think that the promises that he made for us now, in the here and now, are false. I got high too fast, I'm sorry guys. <laughs> we wait. We've already been told Genesis 50, 25. Surely God will come to our aid. Surely he will come. Surely the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is coming to vindicate his people. Surely we are going to heaven. Surely there's a new Jerusalem. Surely he's coming back to battle. Surely, surely. Surely racism will be done. Surely sexism will be done. Surely COVID will be done. Surely death will have died for a final death. Surely sin will be no more. Surely we will not cry anymore. Surely, but as we wait 540 years for the surely, will we live in the promise of God right now? That sobriety is our peace is our promise, that peace is our promise, that his faithfulness is our promise, that his goodness is our promise, that his love is our promise. Those of us who are in this room right now who feel unloved, who feel unseen, who feel unwanted, the enemy is an all-out blitz for the promise that God has already made for you. And that's it seems like there is nothing we can do about it. So I ask as we live in this space, in the in-between, don't be so quick to get to graduation day. Don't be so quick to get to the end of the semester. Don't be so quick to get to, oh, when life gets a little better. Don't be so quick to get to when my money ain't so funny. Don't be so quick to get to the credits of the story. Because while your money is funny, he'll make sure you eat every day if you let him. If you're so quick to get to the end, to when things get better, when things get easier, when it just gets a little nicer, when COVID is done, honey, I'm gonna tell you, COVID ain't gonna be done. We have to live in the promise of God that is already here. It is here. And I tell you now, as we experience the pressures every day and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier where we don't want to experience anymore, I promise you his promises live and thrive, expand and grow and multiply. And if we live our lives like Plato, and the more the enemy keeps pressing down on us, the more the enemy presses down on us, be like Plato, boo-boo. Just spread. Just expand. Just extend. Because I promise you, it's already happening. 
I pray right now for the people of Afghanistan as they are experiencing turmoil that none of us will ever or have ever experienced for our faith. They are expanding and growing ever the more. All right, I'm done fussing. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I went three minutes over, I'm sorry. Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you. We thank you and bless you. We, we ask for your forgiveness, Lord, that we are so quick to get to the end of the story that we miss the promise and blessings that you have already given us. Thank you, Lord, that your faithfulness and truth abides with us, That's, that pieces of heaven have already met us here on earth. We thank you, Lord. We bless your name. Lord God, forgive us for our ungratefulness. Forgive us for our hurriedness, our, our, our carelessness. We thank you, Lord, and we bless your name. And all the people of God say, amen. Thank you for listening to Trinity Christian College's Chapel Podcast. To learn more about campus ministries at Trinity, visit trnty.edu slash chapel.